When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Conclusion. Nothing personal. Word of the day. It is Tuesday, May 17th, 2022. And the word of the day is conclusion. Hard to believe after all of these months. Is it years? Is it months? Coco, the one thing we didn't cover pre-show. When did this all start? Deshaun Watson is meeting with the NFL as part of the NFL's investigation into his conduct slash misconduct slash behavior slash misappropriate behavior slash 22 civil lawsuits slash no criminal charges case to figure out what they're doing. So I wanted to take the opportunity this morning to take you inside what a meeting would be like with Sean Watson and the plethora, the gaggle of attorneys, assistants, associates, handlers who will walk into the NFL headquarters. They'll sit down and Roger will be there. He definitely will be there. He'll have people from investigations, a few deputies, a few other people that want to just see what's going on. And I want to take you inside and tell you what that meeting is going to be like and then whether or not that meeting even matters. So I'm going to start at the end and then go back to the beginning. The end is that whatever happens during this meeting between Deshaun Watson and Roger Goodell will have this much impact. Are you watching the show on Nothing Personal with David Sampson? Because I'm holding my fingers together to make a zero. It will have zero impact on what the suspension will be for Deshaun Watson. Consider the meeting today to be a lot like oral arguments before the Supreme Court. A little known fact, the quiet part, shh, that we all say out loud or that no one does, is that oral arguments in front of justices generally have almost zero correlation to the final opinion. But it feels good for the lawyer because you get to go in and you get to talk and you get to say afterwards, hey, not only did I bill you at $2,000 an hour, but also we made some great points. Like, did you hear some of those questions? I think those were winning questions. (laughs) Hold on. Do you know when you're in a meeting or when you are selling something to someone How do you know when you're succeeding? There's something called buying questions. Like if you're in car sales or selling anything, ticket sales. A buying question is, how close is the concession stand to my seat? Or is serious included? Buying questions are not, thank you so much, it's nice to meet you, I'll be back to you. Or are you gonna be here tomorrow? Those are not buying questions. So when you're in front of the Supreme Court, let's say you're making oral arguments, any court, again, and the judge, the justices ask a question like, so if I rule that this is unconstitutional, 
do you believe the far-reaching impact will be the end of the world as we know it? Well, that sounds like they don't want to do it. Or do they want to do it? And afterwards, you get to meet with your clients and say, no, no, we're in there. It's good. Things are good. So during the meeting between Deshaun Watson and Roger Goodell, there could be some questions. Let's hear. So here's how it works. In comes Deshaun Watson in the lobby. Now, when you go to the lobby of the NFL, just like MLB, you have to present your ID. So you present your ID, and then you get a pass, and then the security lets you through. You have to go through turnstiles, but of course, in A buildings in New York, and that's just based on rent and what the rent that is paid by the tenants, it's not actual turnstiles. Sometimes they're like opening. The tube has this in London, actually. They open, it's like the plastic the plastic doors open and you walk through and you stick your card, you swipe it or you put it into a hole and then it comes out the other side or you just put it in and out and then the doors open. So Deshaun Watson comes in, he goes to the front and security says, hello, hi, I'm here to see Mr. Goodell. Ah, I know you must be Deshaun Watson because there's 50 people with cameras outside. Okay, come on in. They're expecting you. So they go into a conference room. In the conference room, you always have, you have bottles of water, you've got a little stupel, a little candy, you have a little Danish, maybe a sandwich, maybe a little mustard, some pickles, some deli. <laughs> no, probably not for the John Watson meeting, but there's gonna be a little food, maybe a, a cheese tray, just a little something. Slightly better than coach and slightly worse than first class is how you should look at what the food is in the Deshaun Watson, Roger Goodell meeting. So they go in and sit down. They're greeted by a, the, the, not an assistant. What? Oh, come on, Coca. God, it's early in the morning. Receptionist. Get that Rolodex moving. Come on. Get it clicking. So the receptionist says right this way. They go sit down in a conference room. The first decision before a meeting like this, and it's a decision made by the lawyer, is where are we sitting? Do we all sit on one side of the table? Do we all intersperse so we can be mixed and we can all be integrated? Or do we sit facing the window, against the window? Do we use one of the ends as a place to sit? These are all actual things that we think about before we sit down in a meeting. So Watson's people go, come in, they sit down. Then there's about, the general rule is when you have someone coming to meet you, you want them to wait if you really want something from them. Anywhere from 30 seconds to four minutes is the wait in the room before you walk in as the host of the meeting. You're not sitting there when they walk in under any circumstances. So you go into the conference room, Deshaun Watson sits down, his handlers say, hey, would you like some water? Because there's definitely pitchers of water, maybe bottles of water, but maybe for environmental purposes, they have glasses, actual glasses that are face down, like they're clean, and then you pour, pour the water. Do you want something to eat? Are you okay? Meanwhile, they'd spent a few days preparing for this. We're not going to get into how they prepared for it because you're going to hear how they prepare for it during the meeting. So between 30 seconds and four minutes later, in comes the NFL. Now, the way the NFL comes in is Roger Goodell is not the first one in the room. It first come Roger Goodell's people. They come in, they do the hellos, they sit down, hey, are you comfortable? Do you need anything? 
have you been? God, it's so hot in the city. It's been freezing. What a, I mean, weather. Weather is the great equalizer from a conversational standpoint. It's just a bunch of drivel that's spoken between two parties when they're about to sit down for a meeting, and it's totally irrelevant, and no one cares. Then comes Roger Goodell when the meeting is firmly everyone seated, and the NFL people know exactly where Roger's going to sit because Roger has a place that he likes to sit, comes in, sits down. Okay, now everybody's seated. Here we go. Hello, Deshaun. Roger, how have you been? I'm good. I'm okay. Well, Deshaun, I want to thank you so much for coming in here today. Let me tell you what we're here to do. We are here to discuss exactly what is going on with your civil suits. Well, Roger, you're very well aware because we have kept you completely in the loop. The NFL has, and all the investigators, we've spoken to them, and we've told you that we're in the middle of depositions. We've told you that I schlepped back and forth to Houston. We've told you that I'm not settling any of them, but we told you that it's unlikely that there's going to be any sort of trial until the end of the football season. Deshaun, you didn't tell me any of that. I'm just kidding. That wasn't me talking. That was my lawyer. No, no, I'm talking to you, Deshaun. How are you doing? Listen, Roger, I've been advised that the best thing is for me to answer questions that you ask, and I'm happy to answer them, but I would like to point out that I'm not interested in any sort of small talk. I really don't want to talk about community involvement or community relations or what's going on. My lawyers are going to answer any of those types of questions if you ask about the lawsuits specifically. Well, Roger, are you ready? May I present a one-minute summation before you start? Thank you. Roger, I would like to tell you that I regret from the bottom of my heart the embarrassment that I've caused to the National Football League, the angst that I've caused within both the Texans organization and now the Browns organization in terms of my availability. I am hopeful that as we head towards the season, we can start to put this behind us. And whatever discipline that you plan to impose, what I ask of you is from a timing standpoint, is that you let me start the season with the Cleveland Browns. It is so important from a football standpoint that we are together as a unit through training camp and that we are able to start in a good place during the regular season. Let me stop you right there, Deshaun. Our job is to protect the integrity of the National Football League. Our job is to make sure that our sponsors don't go anywhere and that our fans don't give one thought to any negative stories that happen off the field. Our job is to bury stories the way mafia people bury bodies. And you have made it very difficult because you continue to be in the news. And the reason you continue to be in the news is that you refuse to settle these lawsuits. You have received $230 million in a deal that I approved that the Haslams gave you. You're very aware of the pressure they are under having given you that amount. You're aware that they are persona non grata within the ownership community because of the deal they gave you. I cannot think of one reason why you are unwilling to give the money to settle these suits. You're willing to go to the Bahamas with your entire offensive team. That's going to cost you a pretty penny. 
The more that the media has to talk about when it comes to you, the less likely I am to be nice when it comes to the penalty. But Roger, do you understand that if I settle, these women, they don't just want money. They want me to admit that I was inappropriate, uncaring, and that I caused emotional distress. And I'm not willing to say that. But to Sean, the reason why we want you to say that is because the fastest way to move on and to pretend none of this ever happened, which is our goal, don't tell anyone, but our goal in the NFL is to make sure that people just don't even talk about it anymore. They assume it may happen, it may not have happened. We've done this with domestic violence, it works great. You just hurry up, do the suspension, and then that's it. You've got your money, the Browns have their quarterback, and we can all move on and go home and move on to the next thing that happens because there's always another thing that happens in the NFL. I hear you, Roger, but I need to know what we're talking about. Well, Deshaun, I've already spoken to your advisors. You know I gotta give you more than six games. You're gonna miss approximately eight games. You're gonna, it's gonna have to be half a season. But how do I justify half a season right now when you could go through 22 cases and lose them all? Then what? Remember what happened with our player, that guy back in the 90s? You may not have heard of him, but his name was Orenthal James Simpson. Do you remember? He got no criminal charges. He was acquitted, right? The whole, if the glove don't fit, you must acquit. Remember that whole thing? But then there was a civil suit. And remember, he lost the civil suit. So you realize that you could lose these civil suits even though the grand jury decided not to indict you. Have your advisors mentioned that to you? Well, they mentioned that to me, but they said that that is a very unlikely scenario. As a matter of fact, I was told that I've got a 69% chance of winning this lawsuit, every one of them. Well, I think that's probably the wrong number. I would probably take the over for at least one of these lawsuits to go all the way, and if it goes, all the way, you realize that you are gonna be under oath, have to answer questions, and it's gonna be public. Don't you just want to do what we do and stop? Well, let me ask you a question, Roger. Have you already decided what, your, what my punishment is? Well, of course I have. Can you just tell me? Of course I can't. Well, did you tell the Haslams? Of course I did, but the Haslams didn't tell us. Of course they didn't. Is it gonna be paid or unpaid? Deshaun, you've been paid the entire time. You've been on an active roster this entire time. Do you know you were a healthy scratch every game last year? Of course I don't. I haven't played a game in a year, but you understand you made all your money. Let me ask you one more question, Roger. How big an influence is the Trevor Bauer situation on my case? They gave that, they gave that dude two years. I mean, you're not thinking that, are you? Listen, here's what we're gonna say about Trevor Bauer and I've already given you the PR release to your people, so I'll just give you the preview right now. We are not gonna mention Trevor Bauer. We're not gonna mention Major League Baseball. We don't care what Major League Baseball does. We're not under any additional pressure because of what Major League Baseball does. As a matter of fact, when Rob Manfred gave Trevor Bauer two years and Trevor Bauer appealed it and is going to a hearing, which starts May 23rd, and possibly those games are gonna be reduced or increased. They can't be increased, they could be reduced. No worries, not an issue. We're good. But there's been a ton of public pressure that you've got to do something very harsh to me because Bauer was not charged either, just like I wasn't charged. And Bauer, all he did was choke out and, and hit women's vaginas. Like, I'm accused of, of way worse than that. 
Well, Deshaun, listen, we're not going to really get into what's worse and what's not. We don't want our fans or sponsors to even think in those terms. We'd like them to focus on you as a quarterback, and that's it, and focus on betting on you and having people on your, have you on their fantasy team. That's really what we want. So we're not going to talk about any of the allegations. We're just going to say that we did a full, complete investigation and that this is the conclusion we came to. And that's it. And we're not going to ask you to answer questions. You're probably going to want to do a statement, which is fine. We'll look at the statement. You can see the statement we're going to make. And then all of a sudden in the corner, Kevin James stands up and says, Allegra, can we talk about one other thing here? Because no one else is mentioning it. Sure. What, what, what do you have? I'm very concerned here about this investigation and what evidence you have and whether or not you are going to release this evidence or give it back to us so it can be destroyed. Well, thank you so much. Yes, I would love to go on a date with you because we'd make the oddest of couples and I think we'd have fun dancing with Eva and Will all the way down the aisle in a very funny way, if not going jet skiing. But that said, we're not going to tell you about our investigation. We are not going to release any details about what we found. And on top of that, when we give you the suspension, we are simply going to mention that you were in violation of the protocols. That's all. And the reason why we're going to do it that way is it normalizes things. It makes it seem like, yeah, this is just another Tuesday in the NFL. That's the goal. I thought we were here to be interviewed. Are you going to interview me? Do you have any questions for me? Deshaun, thank you so much for asking that. We just said that. But frankly, the decision's been made, the investigation's over, and we have no further questions to ask. We really didn't have any questions before. We're just trying to figure out the best way, and now we figured out that enough time has passed that we can now give our punishment. But did you decide whether you're gonna do it effective now, or is it gonna be middle of the season? Well, thank you, that was very good arguing before when you asked for it in the middle of the season, but that was not in any way dispositive. You didn't convince us of anything. We're going to suspend you from the start. Let the Browns start with a different quarterback. I mean, they still have that guy. I can't remember his name. I think it's, um, you mean Baker Mayfield, Roger? Yeah, that guy. He can still play quarterback for you guys. He's on the roster. I mean, he doesn't want to be there, but hey, the Haslam's knew all the time this was happening. Anything else? Yeah, could I get a, just a quick schmear before we go? Nah, I think you've done enough schmearing. So the meeting is going to take place between Roger Goodell and Deshaun Watson and their various people. And we are then going to finally get the end of the saga. Wait to see is when we tell you something's going to happen and then it either does or doesn't. And we'll revisit it. Here's the wait to see for today, ladies and gentlemen. The Deshaun Watson saga will end before the start of this regular season. When the Haslam's traded for I was going to say Jimmy Brown. That's I have no idea why I said that. It's Jimmy Haslam. And, oh, that's why. Cleveland Brown's Jimmy Haslam. And it came out as Jimmy Brown. It's a Tuesday. When the Cleveland Browns traded for Deshaun Watson, they knew they're going to claim they don't. They've, went, they've gone public and said they had no idea. They knew the timing of the Deshaun Watson suspension. The timing is now. This interview, quote-unquote, that's happening with the NFL, it's not an interview. It's sort of a perfunctory. They have to check the box that they did it. 
but soon after we will get the release. I can't wait to find out what day they do it. Maybe Roger Goodell is so old school he's going to do the old Friday news dump, even though that Friday news dump doesn't exist, so he'll release it on a Friday, maybe on a weekend. Actually, maybe he would do it. No. See, the NFL always releases things to try to get the better of MLB and the NBA, so I wonder if it makes sense for him to do it like right during the NBA finals, but I think he wants to hide it as much as possible. So I think that he wants to release it around when there's other cool NFL stuff, like when there's a bunch of fantasy and gambling shows on CBS, and right in the middle of one, they just do it and say, well, we can't cover that too much because, I mean, it's breaking news. We'll cover it for a minute or two, but we got to get back to choosing fantasy players. All right, Coca, let's talk about social media, please. You know what I want? So you want to talk to Samson. For all the new listeners out there, and even if you're old, I love the people who ask me questions that start with this. I am 169th baked. (laughs) And those questions are generally decent. I am 1515th baked. Can you tell me why it's raining outside? No. I am 1418th baked, and I'd like to know, should I have two cinnamon rolls or three? By the way, uh, I'm in Denver. I haven't really said that before. But the reason that's in my mind right now is I'm here to climb some mountains because I like climbing mountains. And if you're going to climb a mountain, you have to practice climbing mountains. But do you know that in Denver you can get uh, – forget it. Anyway, so so you want to talk to Samson is when you get into my Twitter, David P. Samson, you ask a question in the DMs of my Twitter, and I may get to it. I may not. I may correspond with you back and forth on Twitter. Not as much Instagram, but I look at those once in a while. Definitely never Facebook. I mean, not that I'm against Facebook. I just don't message it. And then you ask a question, and it's from the movie Half-Baked, which is a great movie, and there's a character named Samson. So here's the question. Hi, David. Hi. I like when questions start with that. How are you? Unnecessary. I I didn't choose this question because of the how are you, but I should point out, is it really relevant to you how I am? Do you actually care about how I am? I don't have many people who care how I am, and it just seems like a perfunctory question. Hey, how are you? Like, do you really want the answer to that? That would be a whole separate show that we could record where I could actually tell you how I am, but I think you'd rather me not. Hey, David, how are you? If you are the New York Yankees, are you punishing Nestor Cortez? for his recent racially charged tweets. Well, thanks for asking that question, but I take umbrage with certain of the phrasing of that. I'm not sure that his tweets were racially charged, but I want to, the reason I chose this is I wanted to talk to you about what's going on because many of you are saying, huh, is this going to be relevant? Should I press fast forward? Nestor Cortez is a pitcher for the New York Yankees. He actually has an ERA under two over his first seven starts, heading toward the All-Star game. The Yankees, I believe, have the best record in Major League Baseball. They're hitting, they're pitching, everything's going well. It is E-A-R-L-Y, but they are doing very W-E-L-L, and they do have some D-E-P-T-H, so it is possible they're going to win their D-I-V-I-S-I-O-N because right now the B-L-U-E-G-A-Y-S pretty much are S-T-I-N-K-Y. So Nestor Cortez yesterday announced that he's off Twitter. That's, I understand that. What happened? 
Apparently people, and this is what happened with Josh Hader right before he was an All-Star game. That's H-A-D-E-R, by the way, not H-A-T-E-R. People go back and look at old tweets. And they're looking for anything, anything at all, where they could make news, where they could bring someone down who's up. Josh Hader's racially charged, as you're calling it, tweets were discovered as he was about to appear in his first All-Star game. Nestor Cortez, these tweets have been around for 10 years. He's finally having a great season, or he is having a great season, being looked at as one of the best pitchers. And now it comes out that 10 years ago, or 11 years ago, or however many years ago, he had some tweets where he used words that he shouldn't have used. And he had to come out yesterday and say, I apologize for the insensitive use of those words, and here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to leave Twitter for 10 days, and I'm going to wipe my Twitter clean. I'm going to clean it up because that does not reflect who I am today and what I represent. Which is, of course, code for, I didn't think I'd be famous or good. And now that I am famous and good, I have to tell you that I'm a certain way because I don't want to upset anyone. And that's not to say that he's racist. I've never met him. I have no idea if he is. I would assume from the tweets he sent that he's not, but... Who, who could ever know what someone is unless they are outwardly a certain way and then you can make your own conclusion? For a year now, I've been asking a question and I'm not getting any answers. And I've spoken to several agents about this. When you have a player in the major leagues or in the National Basketball Association or the National Football League and you represent them, you have a checklist, right? I want to make sure that my client has equipment. I, w- I want to check in to see how my client's family is doing. I want to make sure their housing is taken care of, their travel is taken care of. I'm doing all sorts of things to take care of my player. When I have a young player, like in baseball, when I sign a 16-year-old, I want to make sure that I have a good relationship with the parents. I want to make sure I have a good relationship with his high school coaches. I want to take a look at which other agents are around because I don't want to get poached. All of these things are happening. How is number one or number two on your list not to be scrub players' social media? There are so many people who work for agents who are making bupkis because so many people just want to be an agent. It's like people don't get paid a lot of money to be interns at MLB or in any front office because they're lining up out the door. So it's supply and demand. If you want to make more money than we're offering, I'm sorry. This is the salary. It's just business, right? No, no, I'm not saying that end of show. We still have some time. I'm saying that when you've got more people for a job than jobs available, that will have a quashing impact on salary, right? So there's so many people who want to work for agents and they don't get paid very much. Why can't their job be to go back and look at previous tweets of every single one of their clients? Why do you have to wait if you are Nestor Cortez's agent to have this public embarrassment and then go off Twitter for 10 days, which, by the way, is insane. Like, what are they doing? Are they closed for renovations? Is that what his Twitter account, is that what he's going to say? Like, closed for renovations. I'm actually, it wouldn't be renovations, actually. It would be closed for, what's what's the word, Coca? Come on, that would have been such a funny segment. What's the word when you, when you wipe things clean? Is it closed for wiping? I mean, that has a toilet implication, so it's not that. When you, I guess it is, it could be called that, right? Anyway, so it's closed for cleaning. Yes, that's it, Coca. See, it's way later where you are than where I am. Closed for sanitation. 
and there's a little thing on his Twitter account which says, you know, no more tweets. I'm closed for sanitation. Come on. What are you doing? Why do you have to get off Twitter to sanitize your timeline or your previous tweets? What, you've sent like 50,000 tweets? Let's say you are a prolific tweeter and you've sent like 500,000 tweets. Let's check Ravel's Twitter, right? How many tweets has he sent? I would say that he's probably one of the most prolific Twitterers around, like, or, or, or a Schefter maybe. But I'm going to see. There's a way to check without putting my glasses on when you go to a person's Twitter account how many tweets they've sent. A hundred, by the way, <laughs> Coca, I can't see without my glasses. God damn, am I old. 191,000 tweets. It's a lot of tweets. I could sanitize that timeline. You get a bunch of people who are making $10 an hour. You go through every tweet, and you can actually put in search words when you're searching for tweets. But let's pretend you have to do it sort of every tweet. Like, look at every single one. I can't, I can't stand players who do this, but it is what it is. I don't get, do you do, you do things as a high schooler that you don't do as a adult? And I don't mean, I guess we all do. I was thinking about this when we were talking about this topic, is that when you go back and think about all the things you said and all the people my age say, thank God there wasn't social media when I was young. Thank God there weren't phones. I had older players saying this. Thank God that there weren't phones recording devices when I was playing because, wow, there'd be some serious TMZ action. I guess it's true. It's a different world. Well, here's a word of advice to all the agents out there. Start sanitizing. Because guess what we do when we draft people and when we're signing people? We're looking. When you're being hired at your company, they're looking. You know this. We've talked about it. What would you do for money? Would you sacrifice all your principles? Would you take a job that paid you a lot of money even though you knew that it was not a job that you wanted to do or you knew that the product that you were delivering was not worthy of what you are of your abilities think about that during the break because when we come back we're going to review a movie called the lost city and then we're going to get to talk about the nba conference finals which start tonight in miami along with the nhl second round god miami people are complaining about that you're complaining that you've got two teams playing at the same time in the playoffs, NHL, NBA. You're like, what can I do? What can I do? You'll watch them both, meaning you'll watch neither. We'll be right back. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome back to Nothing Personal. It's David Sampson. Thank you for rating, reviewing, following, subscribing, telling your friends about Nothing Personal, spreading the word because we're going and we're going. We are going. I watched a movie yesterday because I watch a movie every day and I love Sandra Bullock. I I like greatly Channing Tatum. 
I'm fond of Daniel Radcliffe. So I said The Lost City, a brand new movie with those three. I am in like Errol. I'm watching. And then I realize it's not quite Indiana Jones. The dialogue is mediocre. It reminds me of The Proposal. What, what am I watching? Sandra Bullock is a writer who has a cover model of her book. She writes romance novels, clearly pretending that Channing Tatum is Fabio. Is there a chance, Coca? Sorry, didn't do this pregame. Do you know who Fabio is? Is, there, is that a generational thing? Like, do you have to be middle-aged? I'm not middle-aged. I'm, I'm late, early age. But I'm not sure if people have heard of Fabio. Fabio is a uh, basically a cover model for books, I believe, was his claim to fame. So she writes, Coca, I can't hear you, but do you like, do you know Fabio? Yes or no? I want to tell the audience whether you've heard of Fabio. Yes, you do. Okay. So, yes, long hair. That is true. That's what Fabio is known for. That's funny. He had long blonde locks. So Sandra Bullock plays a writer, and she has to go on a book tour with the cover model of her romance novels, who's played by Channing Tatum, who has long hair, blonde flowing locks. And then it turns out he may have blonde locks, he may not have blonde locks, he may take his shirt off a lot, because he should. Sandra Bullock may wear a skimpy dress the entire time. They may end up in a crazy place looking for a treasure. Maybe they get kidnapped. Maybe they don't. Maybe they fall in love. Maybe they don't. Maybe Ryan Reynolds shows her that she can be normal and she can open herself up to a relationship. Maybe not. There's no Betty White. Please, The Lost City is a movie that was made so Sandra and Channing could get paid. There is a cameo in The Lost City that will make you smile. The only part of The Lost City you should watch is the first, I don't know, 12 minutes, and you'll know exactly when to stop because there will be a point in the story where something will happen where you'll say, oh, that was cute, I think we should stop. But then you're gonna say, but David, what about at the end? What about, should we wait for it? No, the lost city's lost. The only thing that got gained was money in the account of Channing and Sandra. And I don't blame them because did you think about it over the break? What do you do when you have an opportunity to make money and someone will pay you based on past performance for a project that you know very well is not good, not worth it. You say to yourself, hi, I'm Robert De Niro. So tonight it. 6.30 local time, 8.30 Eastern time. I love the mountain time zone. Anyone with me? I was thinking about the mountain time zone yesterday. I find the West Coast time zone to be problematic because three hours from the East Coast makes it a little difficult to stay in touch with people on the East Coast. By the time you're ready to make a call, they're in their day. When you're ready at the end of your day, they're ready sleeping. It really can become difficult to communicate by phone, though people generally communicate via text now but I'm just talking about direct communication. Central time zone, it's only an hour. It doesn't make a big enough difference. Mountain, where you get sports that start two hours earlier, like the game tonight, the heat game starts at 6.30. It's done at nine. World Series games, hell yeah. Those start at 6.07 and they end at midnight. I don't have to stay up till 2 a.m. So the conference final starts tonight. You've got the Warriors playing the Mavericks and you've got the Celtics playing the Heat. Those are the four teams remaining. What do those four teams have in common? Do they have anything? Who's the biggest superstar on the Heat? 
Jimmy Butler, right? Jimmy Buckets? And do you have him as one of the top five players in the league? What about Luka? Do you have Luka as one of the top five players? He plays for the Mavericks. Steph Curry, do you have him as one of the top five players? I don't, not anymore, certainly historically. The way NBA Conference Finals works, it's like the league championship series of Major League Baseball. You're one step away from the World Series. You're one step away from the NBA Finals. Luka has never been to the Conference Finals with the Mavericks. The Warriors are trying to win another championship with a core, with some additions that they have, like this Jordan Poole guy who you should watch who came out of nowhere, like the G League. If you're the Celtics, you're trying to win a title for the first time since the Paul Pierce days. With Doc Rivers, I believe, may have been the coach of that. And if you're the Heat, you're trying to prove that you are the greatest executive and coach tandem in the history of basketball. Greater than Red Arback. Greater than Jerry West. Pat Riley and Eric Spolstra, if the Heat win the title this year, in my opinion, will go down in history as the greatest president-coach tandem in basketball history. It's a big statement, right? But in order for the Heat to do that, they got to get past the Celtics. The Celtics eliminated my Milwaukee Bucks two days ago. I am despondent beyond repair. I want to watch Giannis. The NBA is plenty happy because they've got the San Francisco market. They've got the Dallas market. They've got the Miami market. And they've got the Northeast, the Boston market. They miss New York and LA though, right? They really want the Knicks-Lakers. Let's face it, that's who they want in the finals. The Knicks have a chance. Oh, we got to tell you, the Knicks are going to win the lottery tonight. There's a lottery. The Patrick Ewing lottery is tonight. That's where in basketball, like baseball is going to do this too. That's where they decide who's going to be drafted in what order. And you've got like an 18% chance to win this or win that. What is it? What is it, Coca? You wrote it for me. Houston, Orlando, and Detroit have 14% odds. Oklahoma City, 12.5%. Indiana, 10.5%. Who really cares? What do the Knicks have? What's their percent? I can't see. 2%. Ooh, I like it. The Knicks have not gone up in 17 straight years since they got Ewing, actually. They've been in the lottery 17 times. That's it? That can't be right. They drafted Ewing in, what, 85? That's... 22, that's 37 years ago. They've only been in the lottery 17 out of 37 years? Coco, will you check on that? Because that was a tweet sent by someone. That just seems slightly off to me. That said, watch the lottery tonight. I don't know why it's not that much fun. But I'm going to watch the NBA Conference Finals. How do I analyze these two series? And if you're not interested in them, just this is going to be quick. When you have a team where what they need to do to win is they need to shoot, and when they shoot, they win. When they don't shoot, they lose. What happens? How do you predict that? When the Celtics and Grant Williams score 27 points, and Jason Tatum is hitting every shot he takes from three, and they're taking 59 threes, and they're making 28 of them, you're going to win the game. When you're the Milwaukee Bucks, and you go over, Holiday's over, and everyone else is over, Grayson Allen, etc., you're going to lose. Connaughton, Ofer, you're going to lose, right? When the Warriors, Clay Thompson is hitting his shots, Poole's hitting his shots, Curry's hitting his shots. And by the way, Curry is by no means the three-point assassin that he used to be. He can still get hot, but he can have a game where he's two for ten from threes. I don't recall him having that too often. So what you're hoping is that you shoot well four out of seven times. Do we agree? There's one team in the final four, one team who doesn't need that. And that's the Heat. 
The Heat are actually underdogs in their series against the Celtics. The Heat have an amount of depth. They play as a team in a way that you don't see too often. And the other team, I would argue, is the Mavericks. Now, the Mavericks had an amazing Game 7, crushed Phoenix, we know this. But when you've got Luka, and they've got really interesting role players, actually, not counting Boban, you would think that the Heat and Mavericks would actually be favored because they don't need to be hot four to seven times. But it's the Warriors and the Celtics who are favored. Hmm. I wonder why that is true. Is that because that's where the betting money is? Or is that because the Warriors are that much better than the Mavericks? How come the Heat are favored in game one but not favored in the series? If the Heat are favored in game one, that means they'd be favored in every home game. And they've got more home games than road games. So how can you be favored in each game but not favored in the series? Or were they only favored in game one because of the LDF? The letdown factor in game one when you do the Celtics, is it big? Is it small? No. But here's what it is. There is no chance, no matter how many toilet pants you are wearing, that the Boston Celtics will shoot in game one against the Heat what they shot in game seven against the Bucks. It's not going to happen. That's my nothing personal pick of the day, actually. I didn't give my pick yesterday, but it was the Cardinals over the Mets, which was no pick at all because it rained. I had Michaelis winning. So that was my pick. We're still 16-48. Believe it or not, I'm taking the heat. And the reason I'm taking the heat is that they're favored by one and a half, and I do not believe the Celtics will have any possible chance of shooting the way they shot in game seven. So take the heat one and a half. Now, the other side bet that I'm fascinated with is the Grant Williams over under. And here's where I'm coming out on that. Do you know that his over under in points is eight? Did you know he scored 27 in game seven? He took 17 three-point shots. Do you recall watching that? Because I won't forget it. Whatever shekels you have in your account, don't bet the Grant Williams over because it's a sucker bet. Don't bet the Grant Williams under because it's a sucker bet. There is no way to know for sure it's the perfect market. These guys know what they're doing. Eight and a half, it's a simple bet. Of course it'll be the over. Maybe not. Heat minus one and a half over the Celtics. Okay. Ooh, this is important, please. Did you see what happened in Major League Baseball yesterday? It didn't make big news because it happened in Kansas City. Kansas City said, we may move out of Kauffman Stadium and build a new ballpark. Nah, we'll talk about that later. I'm telling you, it's, it's all brand new ballparks coming. There's a whole new phase of ballparks. Tampa and Oakland are going to be like the first of the next phase of new ballparks. The news out of Kansas City is that Terry Bradshaw, former quarterback and Super Bowl winner, has been fired as hitting coach. The Kansas City Royals are about 12 and 20. Everybody wants their pitching coach to be fired, their hitting coach to be fired. Why do you fire coaches in May? I used to fire managers in May. Here's what goes on in the front office when deciding whether or not to fire a coach. One. Does this coach have a relationship with the manager? Two, will the manager fight for this coach and view it as a shot across the bow if we fire the coach and realize that his bum is on the line going forward if we don't play better? Three, 
when it comes to the expectations that we had for this season, are we grossly underperforming expectations? Are we partially underperforming expectations? Or are we completely underperforming expectations? The Kansas City Royals are not underperforming their expectations. The Kansas City Royals have a manager, Mike Matheny, who they clearly are not firing, who they do not need to fire a shot across the bow. For those old Montreal fans, remember when we fired Louis Pujols, Philippe Alou's bench coach? We did that for one reason only. We did that so Philippe would know that, we, that he was next. The Royals aren't doing that with Matheny. Was there something acute that the coach did? Not cute, but acute. Was there any sort of like Tino Martinez type stuff going on when we fired Tino over his insane behavior? Is that possible? I think it's more likely that the owner of Kansas City, the new owner, John Sherman, said to himself, no relation, no relation to Bruce. He said, listen, we've got to show our fans as we're getting ready to ask for public money for a new ballpark here in the future, we've got to show them that we're trying something. And what's the big deal firing a hitting coach? No one even cares. It's, we're not going to play better. We're not going to hit better. Firing a coach midseason has never, underscore never, done anything to change the fate of the team. If your players are going to regress to the mean, if they're hitting like crap and all of a sudden you fire the hitting coach and they start hitting well, they were going to hit well with the new hitting coach anyway. It's not like it actually works. Right now, the Kansas City Royals are at the bottom of the league, right? They're... They can't, they're not hitting for average. They're not hitting for power. They're not hitting for slugging, whatever their stats are. It's insane. But the thought process always was as a team president that we're going to do something just to make sure that the players, the media, the fans, they know that we're paying attention. So you go down to the manager's office and you say, Mike, we're going to make this change. We're going to bring up somebody from the system we're going to keep an assistant hitting coach around. Right now, teams need seven hitting coaches. It is a hard job, but we had one hitting coach, and it worked. I mean, it got us a ring. And then we're going to ask you to work with us next season. We're going to try to figure out a better staff, maybe better players. And then the manager always says to the owner, well, what about payroll? When you fire a hitting coach, you're just trying to cover up the fact that your team stinks. And your team stinks because your payroll is not high enough. Or if it is high enough, you made bad decisions. And if it's too low, you're not the raise and you couldn't make good enough decisions. And we're hoping that you as fans will say, wow, that's a committed owner. It makes me laugh. Firing coaches doesn't make you committed. It doesn't make you smart. You think that Terry Bradshaw is a worse hitting coach today because they played 32 games? That's like me trying to convince you that firing a manager in May makes sense and that all of a sudden we're going to go on and win the World Series. Come on. Who are you kidding? That only happens in fantasy land. Coca, do you get what just happened at all? Is that too subtle? I think we should leave it in the show because it's... um. I'm referring to the fact that we fired Jeff Torborg in 03 and in May, and then Jack McKean started and we won the World Series. And then we tried that so many other times and it didn't work. Did you get that? All right, that's our show. Coke is mad. Don't be angry. We did it. It's just business. This is nothing personal.
This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.